Greetings, everyone. Happy Day of the Dead. Welcome to Episode 2 of The Shakespearean Student. I'm your host, The Shakespearean Student. Appropriately enough, we're going to talk about the play Macbeth, Shakespeare's most cursed play. We're going to talk about the play, the supposed curse, and how this play has become so iconic and such a part of our culture. It's inspired many other terrifying stories, like churchyard weeds. These terrifying ideas come back every year, and like a vampire, they are immortal. But we can see these ideas reflected in many other works of fiction, but I'll focus on two. The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe and the popular TV show Breaking Bad. So we'll be exploring the characters and motifs that Shakespeare planted in his play and other writers unearthed for their own. Now, I should begin with a bit of a disclaimer. I've played Macbeth, so I've, I'm very familiar with the curse. Um, my production had its personal clashes, but we largely ignored the curse, and uh, nothing major untoward happened. That said, um, this was a touring production, and uh, we, when we got a review of the uh, of the play, uh, <laughs> our reviewer was actually so terrified of it that she literally didn't dare write the title character's name, which was a bit confusing. Um, so the fear of the curse is a very real thing. Um, but uh, I would argue, and I'll get to this, that uh, the play's uh, curse is much more of an invention by uh, uh, overzealous actors than uh, any actual supernatural elements. Um, that said, if you're interested in the curse, or if you enjoy uh, the spooky nature of the play, you might want to consider signing up or signing your children up for my um, outschool.com class for, aimed at kids aged uh, uh, 13 to 17. I'm doing a class called Macbeth, an interactive educational experience. It starts out with... Uh, a video and um, it goes on to a online quiz and then uh, it concludes with the digital escape room that I have designed where you have to escape from a cursed castle before the witches get you. So if you're interested please sign up at outschool.com This week only there's a $5 discount in honor of November the 5th. So let's start by reminding you of the plot of Macbeth. So Macbeth starts out as a loyal Scottish nobleman, famous and respected for putting down a rebellion. He meets three witches who prophesy that he will be king, and his friend Banquo will have um, will be the father of kings. Now the prophecy awakens Macbeth's dark ambition. He starts thinking about killing the king. It's ambiguous whether the witches bewitched him or if he always had this murderous ambition inside him. In any case, he plots with his wife, Lady Macbeth, and comes up with a plan to kill the king. Before the murder, Macbeth is full of terror and heightened excitement. Every sound shocks and terrifies him, even something as simple as an unexpected knock at the door. He also sees things that might not even be there, such as daggers, Again, it's unclear whether this is the witch's doing or Macbeth's own guilty conscience. After the murder, Macbeth is made king. But becoming king doesn't make him happy. It only makes him more paranoid. And he is worried 
about the witch's prophecy that his friend Banquo will father kings, which Macbeth thinks means he will try to take the crown or expose Macbeth. Macbeth becomes more and more tyrannical and bloody, murdering anyone who he perceives as a threat. After the murder, Banquo's ghost haunts Macbeth at a banquet, and his behavior frightens all the other nobles. It's his guilty behavior, the way that he says, thou canst not say I did it, and the fact that he's talking to a seemingly empty chair, that gets the nobles to suspect that Macbeth killed the king, and so they they subsequently join a rebellion against him. At this point, Macbeth starts a terrible downward spiral where he loses his will to live and any joy in life. Even while his enemies rally together, Macbeth has no fear or joy. In the end, Macbeth is defeated in a duel and his head placed on a pike. Now let's talk a little bit about the supposed curse of the play. To give you a little background information, Shakespeare wrote this play for King James I of Scotland and uh, sorry, King James I of England and Sixth uh, of Scotland. Um, King James believed in witches. He presided over at least 20 witchcraft trials and passed laws to make all cases of witchcraft punishable by death. So Shakespeare was writing a play about witches for a king who was actively persecuting them. With this in mind, you can understand why there's a popular story that the witch's spell in Act 4 is a real incantation. The one that famously starts, double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Now, there's no evidence that Shakespeare ever met a real witch, but it is true that the witch's speech is unnerving and different um, and that's by design Um, as I've talked about in many of my uh, lectures on verse um, the norm for a Shakespearean character is to speak in iambic pentameter which is to follow this rhythm da-dum, 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 da-dum such as the bell has rung and now it's time for class emphasis on the second beat the witches speak precisely the opposite way they start with the offbeats, double, double, toil and trouble. Their beat is um, more aggressive and menacing. And it, the, the fact that the lines are eight syllables instead of ten syllables gives them a kind of otherworldly quality, not quite normal speech. Um, this kind of rhythm is called trochaic tetrameter where you speak in eight-syllable lines and put emphasis on the first and third beats as opposed to the second, fourth, sixth, eighth, and tenth beats. So the witch's bizarre mode of speaking is one factor in the legend of the curse of Macbeth, but there are many other urban legends that have fed this story. I mean, even since the very beginning, there have been stories of actors getting sick and dying in a production of uh, Macbeth. One of the 
oldest and most pervasive is the notion that the boy actor who played Lady Macbeth in Shakespeare's company, Hal Berridge, died of the plague as a result of being uh, in such a cursed production. One of my favorites also is in the 1936 production um, by Orson Welles called the so-called Voodoo Macbeth, because it was transposed from Scotland to Haiti, and all the actors were played by African were, and all the roles were played by African Americans. Well, there was a reviewer who published an unfavorable review, saying that the play was a waste of tax dollars because it was uh, uh, subsidized by the government, and he subsequently fell sick of an a strange African um, uh, fever and died. This story is apocryphal, but it is definitely a wonderful bit of artistic revenge on, on the um, the part of Wells and company. Um, as recently as 2013, um, there was a uh, rumor that um, Kenneth Branagh's production of Macbeth was cursed because... Um, he accidentally uh, stabbed one of the soldiers in the opening scene, and uh, and the uh, actor was taken to the hospital after uh, being stabbed by actor Kenneth Branagh playing Macbeth. Um, the production was at a uh, deconsecrated uh, church in Manchester, England. So again, this story just will not die. But why is that? Let's talk practically for a second. The curse is very useful for actors, especially for the actors playing the witches and Lady Macbeth. It's easier to pretend that you're summoning dark forces if you believe they are real. Likewise, it's easier to fear Macbeth if you're afraid to speak his name. Ask any Harry Potter fan. Uh, fear of a name increases fear of the thing itself. So this is one reason why the curse of Macbeth is so pervasive. Now I'm going to talk about why the play itself is so pervasive. So, in Macbeth... You could look at Macbeth's journey as a journey with five parts. Prophecy, the climax of excitement before the murder, haunting, decline, slash gnawing guilt, and finally, a meaningless and violent death. First, he gets the prophecy from the witches. Then he's on an upward tick of excitement and, uh, and busy energy right before the murder. He's then haunted, and this haunting heralds his decline and fall as guilt, paranoia, and fear close in on him. And then he dies. These are the motifs that I think make Macbeth a unique story. And it's the motifs that have been uh, copied in the other two adaptations. So let's move on to The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. 
Now, you might think I'm being a little tinfoil hatty saying that uh, Poe is basically rewriting Macbeth into the Telltale Heart. Well, it is true that he quotes from Macbeth, that um, there are images that are used. Um, the character has uh, uh, similarities to Macbeth, and he goes on a very similar journey. For starters, um, they quote the... For starters, Poe quotes the line, out damned spot, one of the most famous lines in Macbeth. But also, let's go through each of these motifs. First, prophecy. In Macbeth, the witches get the ball rolling by telling him he's going to be king, which awakens his murderous ambition. In Telltale Heart, we have a different sort of prophecy. We have a different catalyst that spurs the... Um, the speaker to murder, the nameless narrator, and in this case, it's the eye. The thing that drives the speaker to kill the old man is not because the old man has been rude or insulting or has wronged him in some unspecific way like in Cask of Amontillado. No, in this case, it's just his blue eye. Now, scholars have puzzled for 200 years as to the meaning of the eye or the significance of the eye. Um, I myself have uh, wondered about it. Um, some see the eye as a symbol of self-knowledge. Some have thought that it might be a symbol of what uh, feminist scholars call the male gaze, pointing out that um, the speaker could just as easily be a woman tired of being objectified by a um, an older man that she lives with. Um, some have taken a Freudian analysis and suggest that it's a potential um, Oedipus complex because we have a younger man uh, trying to sh exert power over an older father figure. Um, I wonder if it's an identity symbol. Um, the eye, of course, is the window to the soul and um, also a symbol of discovery or self-knowledge. Um, Maybe the person has an identity that they don't, are they are not comfortable with, or wish to hide from the world. Uh, one thought I had was that what if the person is a, uh, a closet homosexual and is trying to hide it from other people, um, and is afraid that that knowledge will get out and they will be discriminated against. Um, it could be a symbol for addiction. We know that Poe was uh, um, addicted to alcohol and opium. Um, so he could very he could write a very poignant story about a man struggling with his addiction and fearing that it is getting out, and then he internalizes the eye as a symbol for no people are going to find you out, and therefore the only way to purge that fear is to kill the old man and symbolically destroy what he does not wish people to see. Um, Another argument, which I think works very well in the context of Macbeth, is that the um, the speaker is a soldier who has PTSD and wishes to symbolically destroy a symbol of all the horrible things he's seen and done through war. Um, Sartre, when he adapted Macbeth, made him a character who is uh, suffering from PTSD and has seen the horror of wars and is starting to question whether or not killing in the name of a king is justified with the horrifying cost that it brings on a soldier's psyche. Um, with this in mind, um, it 
works quite well to have a similar character in Telltale Heart. Especially since, clearly this man has no problem with killing. He, what he does have a problem with from the very first line of the story is you calling him men, uh, mad, mentally unbalanced. Perhaps this man is a soldier who has suffered severe mental strain and is afraid of appearing weak or crazy. Um, in both stories, themes of toxic masculinity come up. In Macbeth, he talks about how I dare do all that may become a man. Who dares do more is none. And then Macbeth becomes more and more of a monster as he indulges in his uh, murderous impulses. In this case, we have a man who gleefully in, uh, um, engages in murder, but is afraid to be judged as crazy because of it. Um, one quote that uh, um, gives us clues as to what Poe thinks about the eye is this one. I could see nothing else of the old man's face or person. For I had directed the ray as if by instinct, precisely upon that damned spot. Clearly, Poe has read Macbeth because he's directly cribbing one of Shakespeare's most famous lines. The function of the eye is the same as the witch's, though the circumstances are different. The bloody spot that Lady Macbeth sees is a symbol of guilt, just as the old man's eye is a symbol of guilt or painful self-knowledge that the narrator cannot bear to see any longer. In this text of the story, Poe gives us another clue as to why the speaker kills the old man. And that is, for one reason or another, he wishes to become death. The personification of death. In the story, there's a quote where he says, where as the narrator is stalking the old man, he says, because death in approaching him had stalked with his black shadow before him and, and enveloped the victim. This is a motif that is um, present in Macbeth, uh, Breaking Bad, and Telltale Heart. The speaker desiring to take on the qualities of death, the Grim Reaper. In a way, it's a form of deification, seeming invulnerable, seeming invincible, and utterly feared and utterly um, Im impervious to human feeling. Death in the sentence is capitalized, so we know that Poe is talking about the anthropomorphic figure of death. It is sort of similar to how Macbeth, just before he kills the king, says, hooded murder, capitalized, alarm by his sentinel the wolf, whose howls his, his watch, thus with his stealthy pace moves like a ghost. Both men are play-acting at being death right before they commit a murder. Similar to the way that the porter parodies Macbeth's uh, play-acting by pretending that he's um, the gatekeeper of hell. <clears throat> but in both cases, the... Um, in all three cases, the men are attempting to seem stronger, more invulnerable, and more terrifying than they really are. 
the narrator wants power over life and death. Another point in my theory that he might be a soldier trying to take, uh, trying to make himself have power over life and death. And it was the mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that caused him to feel, although he neither saw nor heard, to feel the presence of my head within the room. The speaker takes pleasure in the fact that he can induce terror without actually doing anything. Just by putting his head in the room, he has exerted his power and dominance over this older man. Similar again to Macbeth saying, Thou sure and firm-set earth, hear not my steps which way they walk. Another motif that both these men share is that even though they wish that they are the non-corporeal figure of death, as they get closer and closer to the murder, they are um, more and more aware of how far they fail to uh, embody this non-corporeal entity. Um, Poe, have I not told you uh, that what you mistake for madness is but acuteness over the senses? I heard many things in heaven or in earth. The character obsesses over small little sounds, the creak of a floorboard, the, um, the intensity of the lantern, um, the sound of death watches in the walls. Meanwhile, Macbeth, as he approaches King Duncan's room, complains loudly of the uh, sound of an owl screeching or um, the sound of footfalls and saying, how is it that every sound appalls me? These men, again, want to be death, but they are painfully aware of how human they really are. And eventually, both of them, their human frailty manifests them itself again after the murder when truth comes out. Their guiltiness is betrayed. Macbeth's guiltiness is betrayed when he sees Duncan, when he sees Banquo's ghost at the banquet. Um, it exposes him as paranoid, um, murderous, and borderline insane. Um, and it's no coincidence that immediately afterwards the lords join Malcolm in the rebellion against Macbeth and uh, proceed to storm his castle. Um, the narrator of uh, Telltale Heart, of course, he experiences uh, guiltiness by the change of sight into sound. The eye is no longer the accusatory object. It is the sound of the old man's heart beating, which betrays where he murdered him and where he placed the body under the floorboards. The crushing um, noise of the telltale heart also represents his crushing guilt, and it crushes him into a confession. The effect is the same, 
but it is more immediate than Macbeth. Macbeth takes uh, nearly 30 minutes to go from Banquo's death to his uh, um, eventual destruction at the hands of Macduff. Now, short stories are an incredibly compacted way of telling an um, emotional journey. They focus invariably on characters and how they grow and change. Plays are also a com uh, compacted form. We compress events, we compress time periods in order to squeeze it into two hours traffic on the stage. But it's um, when one is working in the medium of long form television, the motifs can be expanded and uh, re-examined and reinterpreted and repackaged in different forms. And one thing that's fascinating about Breaking Bad is that it takes all of these motifs of um, Macbeth and Telltale Heart and tells them in different ways over a long period of time. <clears throat> First, let's talk about the mo motif that you that is in all three stories. The prophecy. Um, Macbeth has his witches. Um, the narrator has the old man's eye. Macbeth has another prophecy. He goes to the uh, the doctor in the first scene of the uh, of the uh, show, in the first episode, and reveals he has inoperable cancer. He comes to grips with the fact that he is going to die, that his life um, is going to end, and he is filled with rage. Um, in his mind, he has been unremarkable, un, uh, meek, um, constantly bullied and uh, put down and nagged and irritated by everyone around him. He has not been a somebody. He has not dared to do all that may become a man. In fact, he's been kind of a forgettable person. Not well respected by his uh, wife, his brother, and certainly not his students as he is a, a high school chemistry teacher. When Lady Macbeth dies, Macbeth famously de declares, decides that life is a tedious, pointless act and resolves to die bravely fighting. Walter White comes to the same conclusion. but he decides to lash out at the world. He will become a feared drug lord and pull down as many people as possible down with him. Now, um, Walt uh, becoming a drug lord is an act of rage. Um, but as I talked about, um, uh, Walt's rage comes from his uh, feeling of inadequacy as a man. And because of that, um, the toxic masculinity elements that we talked about earlier also manifest in spades in, in Breaking Bad. Um, Walt's anger with the world is intertwined with his fear of his impending death. So his progress through the drug underworld is an attempt to make himself equal with death. As I mentioned in Telltale Heart, Walt wants to be like death, merciless, fearless, random, and met with awe and terror by everyone. Each person he kills makes Walt feel bolder and more powerful. He even constructs a new name and a new identity for himself. 
Heisenberg. Incidentally, the Heisenberg principle, discovered by Werner Heisenberg, uh, the famous physicist, states that it is impossible to predict how some particles will react in quantum mechanics. Um, Walt, a chemistry teacher with a great understanding of science, is subtly telegraphing to the world that he is an agent of chaos, and nobody can predict what he will do next. Before he got cancer, he was straight and narrow, predictable, reliable, boring. Now, he refuses uh, um, all of that with his new identity as Heisenberg. One of uh, Walt's most famous speeches is another attempt to um, deify himself, and it has very great uh, echoes of Macbeth. Again, I've talked about how murderers have a heightened fear and a heightened awareness. Um, Macbeth is uh, terrified by the knocking at the door after he's killed Duncan. And what is Walt's most famous catchphrase? I am the one who knocks. Again, going back to the theme of chaos that Heisenberg represents, he is attempting to deify himself by claiming that he is the one who will knock at your door when you least expect him. He is the stranger you don't want to show up. And this, again, is a death um, personification. The death shows up when we least expect it. But even though Walt, again, wants to make himself equal with death, he is human. And his, um, and his uh, no, however careful he is um, as a drug kin kingpin, the truth comes out. Hank figures out who he is, and Hank is eventually murdered. Like Lady Macbeth's uh, death, Hank's death is the catalyst that drives Walt towards death. Like Macbeth, he is then killed final, violently in the final episode. Um, Walter White, like Macbeth, is starts out as a reliable, honored, respectable man, but through his toxic masculinity, through his uh, through the outside influence of this prophecy, he becomes more and more violent, unpredictable, inhuman, and. Um, and trying to make himself equal to death. But death always wins. It's his true tragedy. Now, the story of Breaking Bad does follow Shakespeare in terms of its character journey, but it has a couple elements that seem to be inverse examples of Macbeth. What I mean by that is certain characters and events happen the opposite way that they do in Macbeth. To the point where I wonder if Vince Gilligan intentionally did this. Let me give you a perfect example. First, let's discuss Walt. He's a common man. Macbeth is a nobleman. He was honored and respected, um, and he was already um, praised for his violence when, uh, with the violence in which he put down the rebellion um, against King Duncan. By contrast, Walt is a, a very non-violent, meek, and um, an unremarkable figure. He's, dis he's a teacher, disrespected constantly by his students, his co-workers, nagged by his wife. Deep down, again, like I mentioned before, he has a 
boiling rage inside of him. And his sentence of cancer is an excuse for him to just ruin as many people's lives as possible. Starting with Jesse, who I would argue is like the anti-Banquo. In Shakespeare's play, Banquo is a loyal, respectable thane. He's basically Macbeth's equal. Um, the two only diverge after Macbeth decides to kill the king, um, where Banquo uh, becomes the more upright and decent human being because he resisted the temptation to do something similar. Jesse, by contrast, is, you could argue is a tempter, um, but I would argue that probably Walt's quest to punish the world for his uh, miserable life starts with him punishing the students that gave him the most irritation and frustration and abuse. Jesse's not a good student. He flunked out of Mr. Walt's class. I think that uh, Walt decided to go into business with Jesse not just because he knows drugs, but also because it's a way of ruining Jesse's life. Uh, Walt does a lot of terrible things to Jesse. He lets his girlfriend die. Um, he gets uh, he puts him into many dangerous situations. He lets his face get blown off. He spends um, uh, he lets Jesse become basically enslaved for weeks. Walt tries to ruin Jesse's life. By contrast, he is verbally abusive to his wife and son, uh, but he tries to protect them for the most of the show. So again, I think that Jesse is written as the anti-Banquo. Not honorable, not decent, not good in any way, yet still sympathetic. And the camaraderie that they feel, Jesse and Walt, is similar to the camaraderie that Banquo and Macbeth feel. Now let's talk about Skylar, um, Walt's wife. Um, and one of the most hated characters on the show. Um, Skylar is a character that many people dislike because, at least at the beginning of the series, because she detracts from the action. If we are trying to, if we in the audience are trying to feel pathos and uh, purge ourselves of uh, of the desires to, uh, that Walt indulges in, then Skylar is a distraction. So many people get frustrated with her because, in many ways, she's the anti-Lady Macbeth. She doesn't encourage him. She doesn't seduce him. She doesn't um, get him on—she um, uh, doesn't push him to kill the king at first. In any, if anything, she seems to pull him down into his mundane, boring life that he's trying to rebel against. But, eventually she's seduced by Walt's riches and helps him launder his money. In some way, she's better at it than he is. Um, so she becomes Lady Macbeth more gradually, using the format of TV uh, to her... Uh, the creators use the format of TV to their advantage in showing her degeneration into a accomplice. But both characters at the same time have a breaking point. After Banquo's ghost haunts them, Macbeth pretty much is done with um, Lady Macbeth. He doesn't seek her advice. He doesn't talk to her. The only line he has to her is, God be with you, as a way of saying goodbye. I don't need you anymore. Um, 
Likewise, Skylar... He no longer has any affection for her. She's useful for his money laundering, but he is no longer... Uh, but his self-love has eclipsed his marital love. So he winds up... Uh, their relationship erodes through the course of the series. The final thing is that the final divergence from Shakespeare's plot is that Macbeth, you can play Macbeth as uh, um, a character who fights his way to the end and um, has a little bit of victory in his final battle with Macduff, where he is going pell-mell against uh, um, an, uh, in a fight that he knows he will lose. I very much played it that way. Um, and meanwhile, Walt knows he's going to die anyway, so he risks everything to save Jesse. And I think that's probably why he smiles when he uh, dies, because, well, at least cancer didn't win. He achieves that victory over death that he so wanted by just not letting cancer kill him, by dying on his own terms, dying as a badass instead of, instead of dying like so many other pathetic cancer patients. Um... Meanwhile, Macbeth's death is sort of full of shame. So it, it's interesting that uh, you can argue that his, Beth, his death um, emulates Macbeth, or it is in contradiction of Macbeth. But the journey, as we've discussed, is full of similar points. The prophecy, the excitement as he becomes more and more deified through his murders and his... Um, his uh, professions, that he is the one who knocks. But then he has a decline. He loses the people close to him. He realizes that he's lost uh, all that uh, is of real value. As Macbeth puts it, and my life has fallen into the sear, the yellow leaf, and that which should accompany old age as love, honor, troops of friends I must not look to have. Walt knows this just as well as Macbeth, and that's another reason why he chooses to go out fighting for Jesse, the only person that he's really uh, built any relationship with over the series, and then just dies violently, like he always wanted. It's debatable whether or not Macbeth is cursed, but it is true that the play itself is immortal. It touches on dark and forbidden desires within all of us. Revenge, worldly riches, desire to become powerful, respected, and even fearsome. If there is a curse in Macbeth, there definitely it definitely is the curse of knowledge. The knowledge that everyone has the potential for evil, and the right trigger will let that evil However, that knowledge is also a necessary evil, and that is why it has transcended Shakespeare's play and become part of our culture, as evidenced by its adaptation in The Telltale Heart and Breaking Bad. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope to see you again uh, next time. Um, please feel free to uh, look at my blog, uh, shakespeareinstudent.wordpress.com. I'm also on Twitter and on TikTok. Um, 
And again, please check out uh, my library of courses on outschool.com. Thank you very much and see you next time.